It's a web of intrigue that starts in our Holy of Holies, Boys Town, Nebraska, one of the most respected institutions in the United States, and spreads out like a spider web to Washington, D.C., right up to the steps of the nation's capital, the steps of the White House, involves some of the most respected and powerful and richest businessmen in this United States of America. And the centerpiece of the entire web is the use of children for sex and drug dealing and drug couriers, the compromising of politicians, the compromising of businessmen, but worst of all, the corruption of key institutions of government that have the duty and responsibility to make sure these things never happen. Creep It Real is a weekly podcast where we present our theories of the subjects we cover based on our interest and research. Some material may be graphic and disturbing, so proceed with caution. Hey, guys. Hey, we're here. All right, guys. Hey. So this week, we are coming back around to the Franklin Credit Union Part 2. We took a break last week to talk about the Jamesons. and Which was awesome. Yes. And, well, yes. If you need to go back and listen to it, I suggest doing so. There's lots of information, but we talked about some of the corruption that was going on in the state of Nebraska with... A man named Larry King, who was the manager of the Franklin Credit Union, and a giant creep, and all the terrible things that he and his other depraved cohorts were doing with children, trafficking them across state lines for sexual, like, prostitution reasons, and these kids are 13 years old. Some of them, you know, are older, but not that much older, and a lot of just horrendous, crazy, insane-sounding crap was going on and we kind of ended it where it seemed like anybody that was trying to get help children wise for being involved in this stuff these children were ending up actually kind of getting prosecuted themselves because they were coming forward so we were like what in the heck is going on here well like all the adults that were trying to help and investigate too were just like mysteriously dying in these freak accidents a plane exploding a freak canoe accident like all sorts of sketchy ridiculous stuff. right it's sketchy as hell so and if that doesn't make you want to just like throw all your chairs through all your windows i don't know who you are i don't but no i don't know your i don't know how you can't anyway i don't need to go into like why i'm feeling so full of rage right now but i i have been so let's get a little more background information so we talked about this credit union is the center of this thing because larry king was the manager of this credit union and lo and behold the credit union is missing 40 million dollars 40 million dollars of its money lo and behold i don't think 40 million dollars just goes missing you know it's <laughs> What do you mean? You count the teal at night <laughs> and you're like, maybe you're short like a dollar or two. <laughs> but, oh, $40 million? I don't know. I missed it. Sorry. Yeah, it's totally crazy. Um, the other crazy part of this is that not only was there $40 million missing, but 
they learn that the bank isn't even like doing business with the community in which it's supposed to be helping, which was small businesses and the and, and individuals in the African American community. They weren't giving out any loans to anybody. No. Yet they're missing all this money. So that's that's really awesome. So not only were they just not doing anything to help the community, they were actually robbing them. Well that those that deposited. Let's not forget that Larry King lived pretty stinking lavishly. He had multiple homes in different yeah. states, a silver armchair, luxury car, <laughs> yeah. luxury penthouses. Cranes. Yeah, a crane. Yeah, get, cranes yeah. bringing in his couch. Yeah. So, yeah, he's a disaster. Yeah, he's notorious for his high-spending ways. Totally. So, you know, he was the manager of this bank. He was spending all this money. Mm-hmm. You know, people would talk about the parties that he had and how limousines would take you home. And, I mean, he was living it up. In 1988, a Senator Chambers received numerous complaints about Larry King, his high-spending ways, and, in addition to that, the Foster Care Review Board's reports about the abused children that all named Larry King at in some point or another in their stories of abuse, generally as being the key figure, you know, in the situation. It's like that, it, I don't know, it's strange, just how many people have to say this dude's an a-hole for it to be true. Right. I mean, it's just crazy. Oh, it's just crazy. I mean, I freaking cannot believe, I just cannot believe the extent to which this crap goes in the story. Like, it's it's a never ending, like, circle. It's just, there's always something. It's so, it's so insane. Yeah. So, we had spoken about a Senator Schmidt who had been working with Gary Caradori and John DeCamp. In our last episode, uh, to kind of investigate the Franklin situation, the allegations of abuse, pornography, etc. And Senator Spit, Senator Schmidt obviously had some knowledge of allegations against Larry King for having committed this atrocious behavior. And he knew about the kids that were accusing him of abuse. And... The other thing I wanted to talk about about Larry King was he had also, when he had first started his career, he was a Democrat. He was like part of this Democratic Party activism group. And and it wasn't until he shifted his registration to being a Republican in 1981 that he began to, to start making a name for himself, which... I mean, I already knew this, but it really makes you, and, I, and there are other examples of this in the story alone, but it really makes you just, not to, sorry to all any politicians that listen, but, uh, you know, politicians will just really do and say whatever they need to do in order to get ahead. You know, it's just time after time that seems to be just thrown in our faces, and we still have this bizarre desire to want to act like everybody is so different you know and it's really just we're talking about two people who are saying whatever they need to say to you yeah lying to our faces essentially to get whatever they want so and it's so anyway you know larry king was a democrat then was like i'm a republican because it was gonna get him ahead because like i said last week he was like one of three African-American members of the Republican Party in 1981 or whatever. At the time, John DeCamp was uh, Senator Schmidt's personal attorney, and he had noticed that there were two different faces of Larry King because he was also a uh, delegate for the state of Nebraska. So he had been in some political situations with Larry King where he had noticed, particularly at the RNC, the Republican National Convention in 1984 and 1988, those were those times where Larry 
King sang at the beginning of the convention. And he noticed that Larry King threw these seriously lavish parties that exceeded the estimates that people gave him and how they said that, oh, he probably spent a couple thousand dollars. And it was like, no way. There was too much stuff going on. He threw these parties in Dallas and New Orleans. That's where the RNC was being held. So at the RNC in Dallas in 84, that's the first time that John DeCamp had ever learned who Larry King was. And he was told that in order to be a good Republican, he had to attend this party that was sponsored by Larry King in honor of Dubois Gilliam, who was getting the highest appointment of any black person in government at that time. So he was essentially like, you got to go to Larry King's party or else, you know, you're out of the... Republican club. So that reminds me of, you know, Nixon at Bohemian Grove where he's like, I don't necessarily want to go to this party, but I have to. Right. And I think it was a way for them to try to tempt him into doing something unsavory and that way they had something on him. Yeah. Like a, you know, maybe they were planning like a sort of blackmail. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that that was the case in a lot of these situations. They talk about it. And a lot of people, a lot of individuals in the story are said to have kept certain things to be able to use them against the person that they were currently working with at the time because they knew in the future they were going to end up trying to blackmail them. I'm like, geez, y'all are really, (laughs) y'all are some stand-up characters here. But yeah, it just sounds like politics in general is just such a crock of of crap, you know? It's just... Well, we all knew that. I mean, I just, you know, but you sometimes just have have to hope. But I think the, the people that aren't are just so few and far between and can they even do anything you know, Bernie Sanders got got hacked out of the job by the Democratic Party because they paid for Hillary to get her chance. So anyway, I mean, you know, it's just like is because Bernie Sanders might be the only person that I ever saw that I was like, maybe he does care, <laughs> but I don't even know if that's true. Which is probably why he never made it because well, yeah. you kind of like you kind of have to be like a heartless, cold blooded, cutthroat right. jerk. <laughs> it seems anyway, it doesn't matter. They're all crap. Is what I'm saying. Like all of them, they'll do whatever they want to get whatever they want. So they, uh, the, this party that he went to the night he met Larry King was at South Fork Ranch in Dallas, which is where they actually filmed the show Dallas. Which I mean, I was like a little child when that was on, and I highly doubt anybody, maybe some of you watched that show, but I highly doubt many of you did. Either way, they gave him this estimate that it was like a thousand bucks for this party, and John DeCamp was like, "No way." No way. And he was <laughs> he was part of like this finance committee. So he was he was, you know, familiar with figuring out the cost of these types of things and he was just like, No way. I, I imagine just renting out the place would have cost Yeah, it was like a thousand for Right. It would probably it would probably be more. And um he said all the top Republicans were at this party. At the time, Larry King's supposed salary was sixteen thousand dollars a year. But let's think about Excuse me? I know, did we and like we heard last episode about like all that mess that he was putting in his apartment, like that silver chair. We talked about it just a second ago even. I know things were like cheaper back then, but this isn't the eighteen hundreds where like sixteen thousand dollars means. <laughs> you made like, me almost spit my drink. The richest person yes, on no, earth. Right? And like also <laughs> they had mul- he had multiple apartments in different cities. He had who knows what else. Don't tell he was taking private planes places. Don't even try to tell me that that is what that man makes a year because we'll learn in a little while that he has a lot of his other business dealings that I'm pretty sure are more lucrative than that $16,000 a year nonsense that they're talking about here. So the Nebraska Credit Union Association 
filed a civil lawsuit against Larry King, and they were able to itemize his personal expenditures, which were $4 million, okay? And $1 million was on an American Express credit card, just paying bills and whatnot. I'm sure all your mortgages and all the different apartments that you've rented out to ferry off children to go have sex with your friends. There was $148,000 for just limousine charges. There was seventy thousand for floral concepts, is what it was said. What they said, who knows? I mean, unless he really did spend seventy grand on just flowers. There was sixty-one thousand dollars on a Mastercard. There's about forty on another credit card. He gave himself thirty-seven thousand dollars, and then twenty-seven thousand for Omaha jewelry. I mean, it was like a shit ton of money. Where is he getting this money? Well, we know now. Yeah, yeah, I wonder. They had. Tens, the the bank, the credit union had tens of millions of dollars of money that was totally unaccounted for. And this man is, this man is sitting around, you know, spending somebody's salary in 2018 on flowers, you know, spending more than somebody's salary. And it's like just so willy nilly too. There's no like thought behind it. It's just gratuitous spending just on whatever. So from DeCamp's experience, and he was the chairman of the Banking, Commerce, and Insurance Committee, he said that with all the regulatory controls that that are in place, it is absolutely impossible for that amount of a theft to occur without the cooperation of higher-up officials. So DeCamp's saying there's no way Larry King was able to pull this off on his own. It had to have included people that were the highest level officials and politicians so that's pretty frightening so he was insinuating that the government the institutions of government had been compromised and obviously were corrupt so nobody expected that this investigation was going to lead to anything else beyond just like this huge financial scandal because that in itself is insane 40 million dollars is absolutely crazy but then people started mentioning the school superintendents being involved with prostitution of children boys and girls clubs being linked to this like child sex ring essentially and that there were stories that correlated years apart like we heard some of them last episode and these kids had no relationship with one another and no contact in a time that they didn't have the technology that we have today to make contact with people across the country so so easily available so it was just like we saw last episode it's way way too much of a coincidence for all these children to have this exact same story with so many details naming the same people years apart whatever they haven't seen each other in so long i mean it's ridiculous i want to punch you on the face if you believe that crap sorry it would have taken a lot of work to get stories right and everybody coinciding with each other so yeah it's not like they could have hopped on messenger and sent out a mass email i mean besides that those stories they corroborate so much that even one individual, if they're lying, has a hard time keeping their story that in sync, you know, with the other stories that they told, unless they are just really good at it. Yeah. Let alone handfuls and handfuls of children who hadn't talked to each other in years or seen each other. It's totally ridiculous that you would even begin to say such a thing. And I mean, I'm just going to continue to talk about that part of it throughout this whole story because it's the most outrageous aspect of this entire story is that these kids were abused so terribly and then were made to feel like they did something wrong. In the end. Are you kidding me right now? Really? With that? Totally ridiculous. Anyway, 
I don't even think I was supposed to be talking about that right now, but I got on it. Um, no, I did. Yeah. And so all the roads always led to Larry Dam King, who was the center of this whole thing, who was obviously abusing kids and using kids left and right to do some sort of weird political shimmying, I guess. So yeah, we heard all that evidence. People were really getting fired up about it. And there were senators that were just getting emotional listening to testimony that they were hearing. And then the, you know, the Omaha police chief, Bob Wadman, and the attorney general who we talked about last episode, General Spire, who did nothing about the investigation whatsoever and was a total loser. He gave to this, this investigative committee, gave this, they both gave these lame excuses that they did everything they could to investigate these allegations of abuse and... And it came to nothing. No evidence was strong enough to... A total BS. They said they acted promptly and professionally. You know, that attorney general didn't do anything at all. The guy couldn't even tell you the details about the case in any way whatsoever. Like, my husband could probably tell you more details about the case because I talk about it to him when he's forced to walk with me in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Because otherwise, he doesn't care. So the Legislators Franklin Committee, they hired their first investigator... Before Gary Caridori, his name was Jerry Lowe, and he sent a memo that the matter was complex, that there was growing concern in the community of a cover-up going on, and he was concerned that anything that he did was going to be overly examined by the public. He found that Larry King was involved in guns and money transfers that were going into Nicaragua, and that there was involvement by the CIA and that there was a possible White House connection here. And there was some connection between missing money from the, the Franklin Credit Union, the, the savings and loans crisis that we talked about last episode where people made a run on the bank and everything was in total turmoil. Banks had to go into bankruptcy and people lost their money. There was, And then funneling money to Haiti and Nicaragua. So I'm like, not really sure what exactly Larry King was involved in here, but it definitely seems like his position at the bank was really just to make him have that money at his disposal, I guess, so that he could do some sort of other business somewhere else that involved people that were more influential than just his little credit union connections. So I'm not a criminal expert, so this might not be the right term, but so is the bank essentially just like a money laundering hub? Well, no, because a money laundering would be if they were actually... Well, they may be kind of money laundering, but it doesn't seem like they're actually keeping the money there. So money laundering would be a business that you set up so that when you make money illegally that you don't want to report, you can transfer it through that in order to... Uh Maybe you already know that. But you can transfer it through that business to make it then legal money. It's like washing it. But in this situation, they're actually just stealing people's deposited money and using it as their own. And then it's totally unaccounted for. So it's like, it it was just a matter of time before they were caught, but they apparently got away with it for some dang time because $40 million was stolen. And the reason that they were able to do it was because there were people higher up that were were enabling it to happen. And so does that mean higher up in Nebraska? Does it mean higher up in the country? Like, Like this is insinuating here that the CIA and there was a White House connection involved in this theft. That's how this makes it so much more than 
just some local guy who's, you know, running a, a child sex ring. There's more going on here. Like the child sex to the government, perhaps, in, in their involvement, that's the less bad thing. <laughs> the other thing is the like illegal gun trading and drug dealing, essentially. And in transferring large amounts of stolen money to whoever. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that child abuse is the less important thing. I'm saying that's the most important thing, obviously. I think but so. they're more worried about covering their butts on that part of it, too. I mean, what the heck ever it is. Uh, it does freak me out a little bit. I was a little, I'm getting a little freaked out by this story. Just the more I get into it, I was like, what happened to John DeCamp? Is he alive? Did someone kill him? I don't even know. I do. Oh. I mean, it's not crazy, honestly. What happened? So he actually ended up dying. He went to like a veteran nursing home and he suffered from Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. And he ended up passing away at the oh. state veterans home in Norfolk. Okay. But that was just what we said. Okay. Well, so yeah. Oh, and so in this low guy says that it was mind boggling the amount of documented cases of child abuse and sexual abuse that dated back several years with no enforcement action being taken by the appropriate agencies. Obviously, that's the horrendous part of this for sure. He also found evidence that oh, I was like, what? Are you kidding me right now? After all this, oh, this man. So, okay, there was evidence that the Omaha police chief, Bob Wadman, I really hate this guy so much, stayed at Larry's home in Washington, D.C. He had said in court last episode that he didn't even, he hardly knew the guy. Yeah. <sighs> okay, so I'm just really, if only I could make a noise, that was my side eye. I know. Okay, so Lowe spoke to Loretta, who we spoke about last episode, who was that child who had endured some serious abuse and had been in and out of the mental hospital. He interviewed Nellie Patterson, who had dropped the web part of her name, who we spoke about last episode, who had been abused by her fostered father, Jarrett Webb, who was related to Larry King by marriage. And this was that was that couple's home that they found a bunch of stuff in, right? Not the kids tried to flee all the time. And right. they had like what, up to 10 foster children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we find out. Yeah, that's crazy. I might as well just talk about those losers. So they actually, as we find out reading further, it was all orchestrated. And I know this is going to sound crazy, but it, it was all orchestrated in order to, they funneled children to certain homes. So they funneled 10 children at a time to the web home in order for Larry King to be able to take those children and use them for his pornography and sex trafficking essentially is it is it sex trafficking at that point or is it just forced prostitution so this was all premeditated like everything was calculated and planned out nothing happened by yeah. accident it was I'll talk about it in a second but they had freaking yeah. people in place right. who when they begin to investigate Larry King, disappeared or ran off to a different state or resigned altogether. I mean, it is insane. It is insane. I don't know how high up it goes, but I do know that there were multiple reports that George Bush Sr. was at these parties. I'm not saying that. I mean, he was just a president. You know, what's a president in the grand scheme of things? But, you know. He seemed to have been out a lot of places. Yeah, yeah. 
there was this, and they, somebody else organized another group that was trying to figure out what really happened here, but they had kind of an ulterior motive. They were more trying to disprove what these allegations were. And the two people who formed this group were part of the financial advisory group that was appointed by that Governor Kerry jerk-off that we talked about last episode, who was the governor. So this loser governor. And these people were overseeing this investigation into the Franklin Credit Union, which is a joke in itself because these people are corrupt and crapple as they come. And they concluded that Larry King spent all his money on flowers, limos, gold watches, and a generally extravagant lifestyle. But we're talking about millions and millions of dollars here. And that's bull crap. Like, where was this $40 million? And like back then too, you know, things were, like I said earlier, things were a lot cheaper back then. So like $40 million was... Yeah. So the inflation rate of $40 million in 1980 to now 2018 would be 128 million five hundred sixty-five thousand. Oh my gosh 319 i had no idea yeah so they are living it up or he is living he it is, up yeah. like it's just lavish and they're passing that money around because his cousin remember the web the monster web woman she had all handmade dresses or something bizarre yeah these people all just were like spending all this money it was just people in the community's money unfortunately for those people four members of the franklin credit union investigation the legislative committee investigation resigned and they were freaked out I mean, I guess that you can understand there's some serious weird stuff going on. But that was even before the whole Gary Caridori thing happened because then they hired Gary Caridori. He was told repeatedly that people were afraid to divulge information because of the retribution from the alleged perpetrators and also that they'd be publicly discredited by the Omaha World Herald, which was run by a bunch of pedophile creeps as well. The people began to think that the lack of progress in their investigation meant that they were trying to cover it up. So people were not trusting, the people of the community weren't trusting this Franklin Legislative Committee. So they realized that they needed to start interviewing some of these victims instead of just getting secondhand information. And their interviews gave them a ton of information and the people that it implicated were all the same people that were being named over and over and over, which was Rusty Nelson, uh, Deward Finch, that superintendent, Larry King, and all this information corroborated with the information that came from Brenda Parker, who we'd heard about last episode, who her and her mom went and got pictures taken at Rusty Nelson's and were given fruit and all that. Champagne and weirdness. And Nellie uh, Patterson and her sister Kimberly, the former Webs who had been abused by the Webb family. So it was pretty obvious that, you know, not only did those stories corroborate with each other, but now there was even more people who these stories corroborated with. So then we bring in Alicia Owen. So Gary Caridori, before he died, he and his assistant Karen, they went to a women's reformatory in York, Nebraska, to interview 21-year-old Alicia Owen, who was incarcerated on on a bad check conviction. And they interviewed her for three hours, and she had said that she had been heavily involved with various individuals of higher esteem, I guess, in Nebraska. And so she was also involved with other minors in pornography, and that included police chief Robert Wadman, that guy who we've talked about extensively, who 
also said he didn't know Larry King, who she says was a pedophile. And although the Omaha World Herald then after that reported that Alicia sought out Gary Caridori to tell the story to him because she wanted to get, I don't know, some sort of bizarre fame out of the situation. That's totally untrue. And Gary Caridori went to her specifically. And she also didn't even tell him everything on their first meeting because she didn't trust him. And it was only after she spoke to her psychiatrist at the reformatory that she finally told Gary Caridori all the stuff that happened to her. And it's horrific. So in her first interview, Owen stated that she met Larry King in 1983 when she was 14 years old, and she met him through some boys that she knew that were at Boys Town who invited her to a party sometime in August in 83 at the Twin Towers penthouse, which we spoke about last episode. Some other people have talked about being there, and then here she just brings up that little detail. She says at this party that she went to, there was Larry King, there was Police Chief Wadman, and multiple other men, and there was approximately six adults and 20 kids both female and male. There was professionally made pornography that was being played that showed two teenage males having sex. That was what everybody was watching, I guess, when they were sitting around at this party, which, cool. So it's just a huge part of this if you're, I don't want to say if you're not familiar with pedophiles because that sounds terrible, but (laughs) like the big thing that they do, you know, it's called grooming, um, conditioning. So the more they expose these children to these types of things, the more complacent, I suppose, they will be. Uh they'll feel more powerless and really they have no way out because that's all they know. Right, and like this is what people do, you know? Like this this is is normal. This is what adults do. So Alicia saw Larry King and a young boy go into a bedroom. She saw a high-profile man, Alfie Allen, go into a bedroom multiple times with different boys. And she observed a 14-year-old boy sitting on a man who we'll talk about later, Harold Anderson's lap. But she's giving these names, okay? Like, this isn't just, like, they piece it together later. She, when she's telling the investigators the story, she's giving specific names of specific events and dates. Yeah. There was all sorts of stuff going on. So she went to a second party a month later. She gave the specific date of September 21st or 22nd in 1983 and it was at this party that the police chief Robert Wadman said that she was pretty and asked her if she had anything on underneath her dress. Talk about wanting to like punch someone in the throat. Right. Gross. That's just me. Oh I'm sure it's everybody. Uh, or hopefully it's everybody. Um, she said sometime later that she was she sat on his lap and he told her that he knew that she wasn't a virgin and started trying to like feel her breasts and complimented them and then began to like unzip her dress and touch her in a sexual way and she asked him to stop and he grabbed her wrist very tight and twisted it and started asking her questions about if she knew what fellatio was and told him that that she needed to show him and she said that afterwards that she began to cry and she ran away and threw up which obviously yeah, yeah. I would imagine so and so okay we're talking about the chief of police here there are multiple other I mean she gives specific incidences where he rapes her molests her and different public places where they'll go to like a basement or something I mean specific places and days and she says that at the parties there was always sexual encounters that 
that they involve boys and girls, that Larry King was there, generally, uh, generally Bob Wadman was there, generally the superintendent of a school was there, we've heard about a superintendent of a school multiple times from other people, and that photography would be taken, and when she described that the person that would t- be taking the photos all the time, because they would always be photographing all the things that were going on at these parties, kind of like Shai said also before, because you can use them to blackmail people. Oh, yeah. So whatever pervs came to these parties, even though the people running them did the same damn thing, they can use the photos they took in order to make these people do certain things that they want them to do later on down the road. So it's top-notch BS, the kind of stuff that you're like, it's this stuff doesn't go on. And I'm like, telling you, it happens, man. So she described the person that took the pictures as 27, blonde with acne scars and lo and behold I'll say that a couple times this episode lo and behold that is the exact description of Rusty Nelson so that's another corroborating I just don't even understand she didn't she couldn't tell the name but she knew his description and you know other kids knew his name it's just totally crazy Rusty Nelson just sounds like a creepy name too I'm just gonna say it I know that sounds like a gross sexual position (laughs) it does (laughs) Like, what in the world? I mean, maybe that's not even his real name. Who knows? She'd witnessed the police chief with little boys on his lap that would go and he would go into bedrooms with them. So not only was Alicia Owen being molested by this dude, he clearly didn't have any, you know, he didn't care what he was doing. He just, he was just a pedophile, period. She later, and this is corroborated by other victims and, you know, years apart, but it's said that Alicia Owen got pregnant when she was 15 and that she knew it was police chief Wadman who who had impregnated her at 15 because of raping her because she had specific dates. She said like August 7th, 10th, 12th, and 17th, Robert Wadman raped me. She had specific dates where she had been molested by Robert Wadman and that they timed perfectly with her getting pregnant and didn't have relations with anybody else. So it's totally bizarre. I'm like, I'm almost like, I wonder if they ever did a paternity test if they would, if he ever could have. Maybe he wouldn't even. You know, if they did that, it it would have never been confirmed or anything. You know, to protect yeah. this creep. So right, and I I would see them like defaming her character, making her out to be some teenage promiscuous gal. So they're like, oh yeah, she's known. For this type of behavior so who knows really honestly and it right. really sucks right it really does oh for sure i mean ugh. when we talk about the grand jury in a little bit it's infuriating she talked about a man named harold anderson who liked young boys and had a regular boy that was 14 named jeremy she talked about the superintendent who lived she said approximately 40 miles from omaha he was gay older balding he had bad teeth he was approximately six foot tall that is the exact description of Deward finch who was the superintendent of schools mm-hmm. and Danny King was another witness who said he had had sex with the same man. I mean, there are so much evidence of these kids saying the exact same thing. That Judge Theodore Carlson was implicated. Actually, he had waited at this French cafe where I guess for some reason this molestation was going on at this place with multiple different people and this judge was waiting for her downstairs in the basement to perform oral sex on him just okay yeah sorry 
how many adults are pedophiles? I don't know, dude. Like, it, this is, I don't, I really, like, I want to cry right now because I'm just like, what is wrong with people? Yeah. It's not just, like, one kid. It's an entire group, and you're just, like, screwing these people up. These are babies. These are, these are living beings that need you to raise them and nurture them and well, be kind to them. Like, what is wrong with you? That's why Paul Benassi has multiple personality disorder. It's because of everything that he had to go through. Like, the doctor says it. He had to protect himself. That's a way, the only way for him to cope with the trauma that he was experiencing and it is so terrible and then they use that as a way to lie and say that he can't tell the truth it's crazy uh no it's like it's infuriating well i'm just thinking like what at what point did humanity like make this because it just seems like it got worse from there you know like well, like i said that to peter one day and he was like well i mean at some point having sex with kids that was just normal i mean and then it became not normal but it now people still want to do it there's obviously some sort of weird thing many people have where they want to have sex with kids well have you ever watched interviews with what do they call like non-active pedophiles where people know they're pedophiles but like they don't act upon it yeah like the most bizarre thing i'm like but you're still very sick yeah but i mean that that's not as gross and terrible as it is it's like it's not necessarily this popped up out of nowhere like that might yeah. be a whole thing all on its own, well, a whole yeah. other series. Do we do we categorize it as like a mental illness? Like is it a disease or is it just pure human depravity? I don't know. I really don't. I think that definitely might be something to look into, honestly. Not that it's, I mean, it's so awful, but. This is depravity. Yeah. This is sick. Like this is a whole new level. So Owens was always really upset when she was talking about this stuff. Also, she said that Bob Wadman told her that Larry King owes him a lot and that he has done a lot for Larry King. She said that the Omaha mayor, PJ Morgan, supplied a lot of drugs. <laughs> so I was like, oh, wow. Uh, basically, everybody that was everybody that's in this city is, like, corrupt as heck. Anyway, I mean, she, she was talking about how she always... She took tons of plane trips to different cities specifically to have sex with these men or go to these parties that had been set up by Larry King. It was always under his direction. And there were also multiple other minors that would accompany her. I mean, she was threatened with being murdered. Somebody said that they would cut off her nipples if she if she didn't perform oral sex on them. Um, this is seriously terrible and terrifying abuse. And... You know, anybody that went through that would be severely traumatized. And this is a girl who at the time was 15 years old, you know. And then when she tells her freaking story, she's told that she did do, suffer the abuse, but she's lying about who did it. And they're going to send her to jail. I mean, are you freaking kidding me? Does the whole state need to be burned down? I'm just kidding because I know that we have some very lovely listeners in Nebraska. I just... It- such a weird concentrated amount of corruption it's weird but i mean i don't even maybe they were just the one city that was unable to keep it under wraps you know who even knows like how much this goes on i guess we don't really know huh alicia owen stated that the governor bob carey who we talked about last episode who we knew as corrupt as it stood he actually knew about all these activities that were going on as far as the child prostitution and larry king told her so so that's the governor of the state at the time they were also friends with that judge uh, carlson who had been 
named multiple times and the assistant Douglas County attorney, Tom McKinney. These are, you know, pretty high powered people in the town that, in the county even, that are taking part in these child abuse activities. So that's fairly troubling, I would, I would think. So we were talking about earlier about how like it seemed like the kids were kind of being funneled into certain homes where they would be able to be made available for abuse. And there was a social worker named Florence Davis who had been associated with all these various cases. And they suspected that she may be funneling kids into certain foster homes. And the director of a o- Omaha children's home came to the Franklin Legislature Committee with this information. She said that she had a meeting with Florence Davis regarding the children going to the Webb home before it happened and that she didn't think that they should. They, she didn't think it was a good fit for some of the children that were trying to, they were trying to place in the Webb home, but... They told her, Florence Davis and her, this other person that was with her, told her that they would not change their minds about these kids going to the web home. That's what they told her. They said, like, no matter what, they're going here. We're not going to change our minds. So that's awfully suspect in the first place, considering that the, the, the person that ran the children's home didn't even want those kids going there in the first place. And... Immediately after Larry King began to be investigated, Florence Davis fled the state and went to California and didn't list her phone number or forwarding address. The person that was with her in those meetings, the permanency planner, at the same time, he went on sick leave and then he ended up resigning right as he was supposed to come back from sick leave. So, la-di-da. What, what a coincidence. Uh, there was another boy who gave video testimony for Gary Caradori, and his name was Troy Bonner. He met Larry King at a party in 1984 where Larry King came up and just grabbed his crotch, and that's like a 14-year-old boy. They told, like, one of his friends was working for Larry and said that he could make money by going to these parties and having sex with the old dudes and whatnot. And so even though at first he was kind of like, I don't think that's my thing, he ended up, The money and, like, cars that some of these boys were getting from Larry King and some of these other men was enough for some of these other guys to be like, well, I'm going to check it out and see what happens. And then they get just tangled up in this terrible web of abuse and being threatened if they're going to tell anybody or try to leave. And some of these stories are so terrible, and we're not going to talk about all of them because there's, like, so many individual testimonies of these kids that are absolutely horrific that it's very clear how terrifying the situation was to them and how that in itself created this fear where they felt like they had no other option but to like be participants in this horrifying you know prostitution forced prostitution situation it was really terrible So, yeah, so Troy Bonner, he had a ton of stories where he was essentially saying generally the same thing as everybody else was, that they were used by certain men, they were taken to parties and chosen, they were, certain men would schedule to have them come to their apartment or at like one of these apartments at like the Twin Towers or some various other motel or something like that where they would be used for sex and then they would be given some amount of money and that there were police officers taking part there were people that ran the newspaper there was just like all mayors all sorts of people 
were taking place in this and they were naming names and they all like there were four individuals that gave Gary Caridori video testimony that they were the four children that were or they were were making these allegations of abuse against all of these huge you know high up people in Omaha and they all corroborated with each other time and time again times places people things that were going on i mean it was just ridiculous and even you know of some of them knowing of the like uh troy bonner said he knew that that alicia owen had been impregnated by chief of police robert wadman i mean just so many terrible things Anyway, so Gary Caradori interviewed these people for, like, over three hours. Some of them were five hours long. I mean, they were visibly upset when they were telling these stories. They had so much detail. They all identified all of these high-named people, and then it didn't really make a difference, honestly. So they had sent all of these tapes, and all, and, and also when Gary Caradori interviewed people, he made extensive notes and listed multiple different sources that could be gone to, to for follow-up and corroboration, and they delivered all of this to local, state, and federal law enforcement, and they, they all got copies of everything in the interviews of the kids. And the Douglas County Sheriff Dick Roth said that he believed the victim witnesses. So the Franklin Committee has Gary Caradori investigating and interviewing all of these victim witnesses and everything's corroborating with each other. And then that's when John DeCamp decides to write the what is becomes known as the DeCamp Memo. So just to recap on who John DeCamp was, he was a member of the Republican Party and he served in the Nebraska legislature from 1971 to 1987. And he was also an attorney. He ended up serving in Vietnam and he was the one to initiate Operation Baby Lift, which they evacuated 2,800 orphaned Vietnamese children. After that, he proceeded to serve as an aide to former CIA director William Colby. And Ashley's been talking about him. So he actually did a, a few things for the Franklin cover up and he ended up writing the book itself, the Franklin cover up, which the grand jury said ended up being just a elaborate hoax and it was like this crafted elaborate just all these like allegations were blowing off basically and then that's after that he wrote the the camp memo which i have some excerpts from and again the grand jury pretty much put it off as like allegations were dismissed as personal political gain and revenge for the for past actions uh, alleged against the camp so basically they're just saying like he just did all this to get back at like a few people which who goes to these like yeah. crazy links right and yeah. so the discovery channel there was a documentary called conspiracy of silence that the camp was the lead perspective on but the documentary was never aired and it was about the franklin cover-up huh. and the documentary covered the child sex ring including information on paul Benassi, alleged white house tours in which Craig J. Spence was a Republican lobbyist, and he was involved in these so-called White House tours. And in one of these instances, on June 29, 1989, um, Spence had a 15-year-old boy with him who he falsely identified as his son. Yeah. So I don't know if y'all remember when some when one of the CIA operatives was talking to DeCamp about how he needs to just like shut this whole thing down. And there's like powers above him that are so dark and sinister. Like he does not stand a chance against any of these people. Right. And in the memo, 
he actually says something like, you know, you were right. I shouldn't have done this. I'm, you know, basically like I just kind of fear for my fate. Right. At this point. They were trying to say that DeCamp had like these ulterior motives for doing this and that he was trying to get back at somebody, but he brought it. He brought the whole situation to the attention of Senator Schmidt long before the whole Franklin thing even happened because of the various allegations of sexual abuse that were being made that he had found out about. So it's just such a bunch of crap that they try to make it out like that he was trying to, you know, get revenge on some political enemy because of the Franklin situation. And that was really something that happened after he started this whole investigation into this Franklin like sex scandal stuff so that just happened to you know the sex scandal stuff happened to fall like all on one central place which was the Franklin Credit Union so it wasn't like he started with that in mind you know it was that just happened to become the center of this of the whole sex scandal anyway well and like in the memo he the memo was just like a screw it I'm just gonna go all out type of ordeal like he started naming all these big names and everybody kind of affiliated with it and yeah but he went on to say that in the case of larry king and the cadre of people he dealt with closely boys and girls like paul benassi troy bonner danny king and alicia owen were used as drug couriers for a national program of illegal narcotics marketing essentially they were just like throwaway kids and that because they were teenagers or younger, when they were doing this activity, they provided a perfect insulation blanket between the real drugs czars like Larry King and Alan Bear and the law. So they were like just toys, essentially, for these dudes right. to do all this. And they didn't right. give a heck what happened to them. You know, they were used as like drug mules and they were used as sex slaves. And I really think that in that book that Hunter S. Thompson wrote that he really was being completely 100% factual when he was saying that these really powerful and elite men and sometimes women buy and sell kids and give them for gifts like like they're just items. Something else that I wanted to add here was so when DeCamp wrote this memo Senator Schmidt was asking him for legal advice on how he should proceed and DeCamp told Senator Schmidt that he needed to go way above the police head like he needed to go to the, as high up as he could possibly go to report this stuff so that it couldn't be covered up by anybody and he specifically was talking about the charges against police chief Robert Wadman who was now being alleged to have molested multiple children and impregnated one. So they together went to go talk to the regional head of the FBI that was Nick O'Hara, and he stopped them after they began to give their uh, case against Robert Wadman, telling him that he said that Chief Robert Wadman was probably the closest friend in the whole world to him and that anyone accusing him would be taking on the FBI. So our child molesting piece of trash police chief, Robert Wadman, is being defended by the head of the FBI in this area. Are you kidding me right now? Like, are you kidding me? First of all, does this FBI guy then not either not know his friend at all? Or is he also molesting children in basements of French restaurants? What the hell? It just sucks. You have all this like evidence and proof essentially and then you you're, you're kind of excited to go find someone that could help you and it just ends up being 
another pawn in the game and you're just kind of like thwarted and it's a horror movie yeah your efforts are squanched so squanched. <laughs> it's like every freaking horror movie that you've ever seen where you're like running from a killer and you finally find some car driving by that stops to save you and then in that car is another killer like how yeah. terrible you're never gonna get freaking justice for any of these people it's truly bizarre so in the memo, like I mentioned before, he, he kind of concludes by saying, Bill Colby, you were right. It is too big. I am too small. They're too rich and powerful and go up too high in business and government for me to touch them or do anything about it. Yes, it is something that I should have abandoned a long time ago and faced up to the fact that good does not always triumph and that evil with many faces does sometimes succeed. Boo. I know. But I mean, like, good on him for not giving yeah. up and just, like, accepting it and letting it, you know, go unheard. Right. Yes. So, so it, it was eventually got published. Yeah. His DeCamp memo. What is it called? It was, like, his last attempt, essentially, to be like, this is what I know. Yeah. If you want it. So around this time, the Omaha World Herald began immediately publishing in their newspaper all the stuff to discredit these victim witnesses. Gary Caradori... John DeCamp, Senator Schmidt, essentially everybody that was coming out against all of these high-figured people that are being named as being abusers in this child sex ring and whatnot. And we know that, and we'll, you know, we've talked about it, we'll talk about it. There are, the former publisher of the paper and one of its lead writers are both named by all of these kids multiple times for being part of this sex ring. So this stupid paper, the Omaha World Herald, is the only paper, it's the only statewide paper in the whole state of Nebraska, essentially created all of this false information in order to discredit everything about this Franklin case because of their ties to it and... So there were actually, you know, people in Nebraska where that may be their only news source. So they are then left to think, oh, okay, these kids did make this story up. And these people are making this story up. They have all these other motives that we didn't know about. And, you know, it's total bullcrap. It's totally insane. But they were completely able to do this as the only single statewide paper in the state. And Caradori was really worried about the safety of the witnesses, of the victims who had come out and made statements against these people and had wanted to get them into some sort of protected environment. And it was like crazy the links that they had to go to in order to meet about this with people that weren't going to go straight away and tell a bunch of people that were trying to stop them from doing this. There was like a senator, another senator, a sheriff, uh, the representative of the Douglas County District Court, and a judge and Gary Caradori all had to hold a secret meeting in this auto body shop one evening to meet about how they may be able to get protection for these victims. And honestly, they all said that it was hopeless because they couldn't get anywhere because somewhere along the chain, there was somebody that was going to stop them, like the head of the FBI who was best friends with the sheriff or the, the, the uh, or chief of police. Yeah. The sheriff of the Douglas County was actually a good guy who would have liked to have stopped this from happening, but it's, they couldn't do anything about it. And so there's another newspaper, the Lincoln Journal, that was owned by the World Herald, and they also ran stories to try to discredit, and they their, their journalists made up 
all sorts of information and stories to discredit people and link people together that hadn't been linked together in the way that she described to try and bolster the claim that everybody that was talking about the Franklin credit union and the ties that it had to the sex scandals and child prostitution. It was a giant hoax, basically, like we've talked about multiple times. They're just trying to make links of these different people in order to make them look look like they had some they did something wrong instead of it being that victims came forward and told these people their stories and they came to the appropriate authorities with those stories but were like Shai just said squanched by everybody that they came to so after Alicia Owen, Troy Bonner, and Danny King, Gary Caradori's fourth witness was Paul Benassi, who we have spoken about multiple times. He was the boy who we talked about at Bohemian Grove who named Hunter Thompson as the person that filmed the snuff film uh, where they killed that boy and made Paul Benassi do sexual things to the body. Paul had said he knew Alicia Owen, he knew Troy Bonner, and he knew Danny King, and he was able to tell him the last time that he saw them what year it was. And he said he had been the victim of Alan Bayer, a guy we've talked about multiple times, Peter Citron, who I just told you about from the Omaha World Herald. He was one of the top reporters. Bob Wadman and Larry King, Harold Anderson, which was the former publisher of the Omaha World Herald, and a Judge Carlson. He named all of these same names that we've heard from Alicia Owen, Troy Bonner, the children who escaped from the Webb home, Brenda Parker, who had that encounter with Rusty Nelson. I mean, all of these kids over and over. He said that he'd been on at least 200 trips that he said he took specifically at Larry King's order to have sex with these men. He'd gone to California, Washington, D.C., Dallas, Miami, Houston, Austin, Tampa, Lincoln. Basically, every city in America had Larry King delivering young boys and girls to them for people to have sex with them. So if you think your town is not included here, I'm sure they just didn't mention it. It's like everybody in every single city in the United States has some freaking creep ready to do some sick crap to some kid yay (laughs) so also paul vanossi had gone to the omaha police about being abused by these specific people long before the franklin credit union was under investigation by the legislative committee or anybody else so there are a lot of people that try to discredit him and say that he was coming out for like fame because the situation went public and he was trying to get help from being a victim of abuse long before the Franklin situation was ever in the public. So that's a load of crap. And again, just another way that these people tried to turn around this abuse and make it that these children are somehow to blame or are the perpetrators of illegal activities. And I mean, it is just so insane. It makes me wonder, like, how much does this happen? Yeah. How often does this happen? And like, how many people have been accused or convicted of some nonsense based off of some corrupt situation? Well, it's like when we talked about, you know, when young people get kidnapped or taken away and then forced into prostitution and then they get busted and they end up charging and punishing the people that really didn't have a choice. It was either life or death, you know? Right. Like, that's so stupid. Yeah. And it's definitely, it's totally insane to me that we can have 
adults and authority figures abuse children and then we're going to come around and say, you know what you get for saying something about it? Well, we're going to put you in jail or we're going to make your life such hell. Yeah. Anyway, so Paul Benassi had said that he had attempted suicide many times due to the horrific abuse that he suffered, which is so sad. And also to me, it really drove home like he was so afraid of Larry King and what he's called his people and the situations that they would just these kids would describe are so terrifying where they're being threatened with like extreme violence in order for them to perform sexual acts for these adults and then their lives are threatened after that's over like they're so afraid that these people are going to come back and kill them that they can't even get into the shower or go to sleep these are you know 13 15 whatever year old kids I can barely wrap my brain around this whole situation and how it was handled. I I can't even, you know, it's like, it's unreal to me. I cannot believe it. I can believe it, but I I don't want to believe it. it, It's weird because like they try to dismiss Paul Benassi so hard and try to make him out to be like this huge liar. It was weird watching that documentary where he like led them to that house, led them to that house and pointed out the underground tunnel and where all the kids names where they would keep kids. right exactly and like what you would find written on the yeah underneath the yeah yeah and he said he hadn't had contact with Alicia Owens since 1986 this was in 1990 that he was telling this stuff to Caridori so he hadn't talked to Alicia Owen in, in four years he hadn't seen Troy Bonner or Danny King since 1987 he hadn't had physical verbal or written communication with any of them since those times so uh, that's a long time to just be corroborating together and what like telepathically I guess <laughs> yeah I mean he said somebody had to t- has to tell the story and it might as well be me I mean, and some of the stuff that he endured is he didn't even want to say it out loud or write it down. But I mean, some of it was so traumatizing to him. And he flew all over America to have sex with these people who also forced him to do horrific things like have sex with a boy they just murdered and then bite his penis off and then bring it out later and all the while they're filming this and then they use that film later to like force him to watch it and make him do even more things so Paul Benassi was actually diagnosed with multiple personality disorder that is not a psychosis it's a neurosis that is brought on by having to endure especially at such a young age such horrific brutal abuse that you begin to develop this disorder as a coping mechanism to be able to handle your life and be able to even remotely try to go on living without just killing yourself which he tried to do multiple times and the world herald and the prosecutor for the grand jury and the grand jury they all try to make him out to be just this crazy lying kid and we're talking about a child that developed a disorder to cope with his life and tried to kill himself multiple times he had nothing to gain in any way by saying any of the stuff whatsoever and he said you know that there were some of the most depraved things going on and Larry King would just be sitting there laughing and smiling and videotaping while 
Rusty Nelson went around taking photos and that the kids that they forced to participate in this stuff were so traumatized that they would when they would be left alone from these men they would cling to each other for just like hours because they they were just like so afraid to live you know because they're constantly being abused and threatened and I mean what kind of existence is that I mean that is just so horrific so yeah I mean there's so much total bullshit so John DeCamp wrote his DeCamp memo and seven days after the sudden death of Gary Caradori who after you know after doing so much investigation and interviewing of actual victims in the Franklin case he had so much evidence that they have an entire room dedicated to the original copies of all of his evidence or they did at the time an entire room and this building was filled with Gary Caradori's evidence his notes he had like 10 names for every single person that you could follow up to verify what they had to say the grand jury was formed for this case and that's where the grand jury they completely discounted entire areas of the Franklin case that had been investigated already and they decided that it was all like Shai said a minute ago a carefully crafted hoax the five prominent individuals were known as central figures And the grand jury exonerated the five, saying, We found no credible evidence of child sexual abuse, interstate transportation of minors, drug trafficking, or participation in pornography ring. Um, Even though... Which, how how did you not... (laughs) This guy has a room dedicated to it, but okay. Right. (laughs) They didn't even look. I know. They didn't even look at his evidence. So, the grand jury... This is, like, classless to me, okay? The grand jury also quoted Shakespeare's King Henry IV, saying... Rumor is a pipe blown by surmises, jealousies, conjectures, and of so easy and so plain a stop that the blunt monster with uncounted heads, the still discordant wavering multitudes can play upon it. Rumors and innuendo. I'm like, why do you gotta be so tactless? Come on. Yeah. Well, and first of all, go back to drama class, <laughs> you little bitch, and stop trying to be a prosecutor on a grand jury. Yeah. Maybe, like, take evidence into account because they didn't even do that. Right. Before you say it's false. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And and basically, it's just a bunch of kids making up these crazy, insane rumors. Go fly a kite. Right. So, though the grand jury made no formal accusation It is suspected that a state investigator looking into the sexual allegations had been duped by an executive who had been dismissed by Boys Town at home. Boys Town is a a home for troubled youth in Omaha. Um, It said the unemployed executive identified as Michael Casey might have fueled the fire rumor and innuendo because of personal grudges. Yeah, he was the only like independent journalist like looking into yeah looking into this case. So of course they're gonna discredit him because they're diddling boys on the side. So right. cool because all these people are connected to some way to some of this. <laughs> Every single person it seems. And I mean we've mentioned Paul Benassi and Alicia Owens a lot, and these were the two witnesses that were charged with perjury, and they were indicted after two other witnesses who had supported their accounts, recanted all the events and whatnot. Like, so their stories are matching up. They're not just saying all these different right. things. Right. Everybody's stories 
match up the whole damn time. Yeah. Like, you know, there's never a time where someone's story doesn't really match up, but it doesn't really seem to make a difference because the grand jury only looked at the video evidence that Gary Caradori taped, and they went into that with the prosecutor telling them that the person who conducted these interviews had an agenda when he was taping these interviews, so he was feeding these people questions and ideas. That's what they claimed. So then the grand jury turns around and comes up with this with this determination and it's utter crap because they didn't even look at the room filled with evidence that Gary Corridori had given them or would have given them if he hadn't have died in a plane accident that some creep probably caused and they didn't even subpoena Larry King who is the central figure of this entire investigation because they said what they claimed was that they knew he would plead the fifth and thus not give them information but we find out per Loretta and a few other witnesses that the prosecutor on the case had actually bragged about how whenever he knew that people he had subpoenaed were coming in to testify for the grand jury and he knew they were going to plead the fifth he bragged about how he was going to have an easy day and he like looked forward to the days when people were going to plead the fifth but yet they didn't subpoena Larry King because he would plead the fifth so what's the point but then they did with other people even though Larry King was the central figure in this whole case how does that make any sense unless you're deliberately trying to not have Larry King come testify because you're trying to cover this whole thing up I mean and like we talked about last episode they admitted that the abuse took place but that the kids were lying about the names that they named even though they all named the exact same names or the exact same physical description it's like what well and then the other two witnesses recanted their allegations so then those two recanted and then Paul and Alicia were indicted for unrelated charges. I'm pretty sure Alicia went to prison for credit card fraud. Oh, is it though? Because they indicted her on her allegations against police chief Robert Wadman. So I don't know what they convicted her on other than perjury about that abuse by Robert Wad- Robert Wadman. I can't say his name. You know, I don't know what the reason they would do that. So also, they actually indicted three people who had allegations of abuse against them. Alan Bear, Peter Citron, and Jarrett Webb, who we knew from the Webb household. So why are some of these people's names to be believed while others are not. Why do we believe that these three people who were named over and over were actually guilty of this, but Larry King and the police chief and the judge, those were made up? And what did they do to figure out who was made up and who was legit? Yeah. That just does not make sense. They charged Jarrett Webb based off of Nellie Patterson, formerly Webb's, testimony, yet her testimony about traveling around with King for his little parties wasn't to be believed. So they're picking and choosing individuals out of the testimony who to charge and who not to charge. And it seems like the low-hanging fruit are the ones that got charged, Mm -hmm. the ones that really wouldn't make much of a difference if this uh, writer at the newspaper or this whatever guy that works at the city who's married to Larry King's cousin, he goes to jail for a little while. But not Larry King or anyone else that was a really large name. They actually blamed, the grand jury actually blamed the... Carol Stitt, who we talked about last episode of the Foster Care Review Board, saying that she didn't do what she was supposed to do. When we heard that she really was pushing and pushing and pushing for somebody to do something and everybody just ignored her. So 
They're just trying to put blame off on everybody else, essentially. Yeah. They said Loretta suffered more abuse and neglect than anyone should endure, but that the perpetrators of her abuse may never be known, even though she named a million names and gave physical descriptions of tons of people. Oh, also something outrageous that they said in their the grand jury's report. It said, children do have the right to expect that if they exhibit responsible behavior, they will not be abused. What the hell is that? Who the heck? What? In, so, excuse me. So, it's a child's fault that they attract adults? Yes. Like, they didn't exhibit responsible behavior. Line these jerks up. I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> line them up. I'm going to slap all you in the face. I'm going to slap you all the tiny pieces. I swear to God. First of all, they casually went on to mention that the uh, Omaha Police Department said that there were over 500 known pedophiles in the Omaha area. 500. And that the U.S. Department of Justice estimates that the typical pedophile molests 77 children before they are caught. So 77 times 500 is what? 38,000 something children. It's a lot. Yeah, I'm going to do it just because. 38,500. Yeah. So that's a ton of children in this area. And we already know that we have like at least a handful of children who are claiming to be abused by these same people that we're discounting with this grand jury. Yeah. They said that there was one pedophile that caused them great concern and that his name was Robert Anderson. They still stated he was of concern but then they next said that because nobody testified against him that they could not indict this person that they were so afraid of but he figured in the tape testimony of Troy Bonner Danny King and they completely neglected to say that or mention that so it's so bizarre to me it's like they're taking some evidence using it to bolster their claims and then choosing to ignore evidence in the same situation i mean i don't even know how to say that is this real life i don't know i cannot believe this they charged that the hoax was spread by two rumor mongers that were child care workers and this is really just child care workers who the victims had begun to trust enough to tell about this abuse to them they attacked senator schmidt of the Franklin Committee. They attacked Senator Chambers. They attacked the journalist, Michael Casey, who these three people were coming out and saying, these high power individuals in Omaha are abusing children. And the grand jury came out and said that these people were the ones that were creating this hoax. And, and perpetuating this hoax. When you get revenge, you go, you like, you slash someone's tires, you know, you, yeah, you like egg their house. I don't know. You don't, wow. The amount of planning that would have taken place in order for them to get all of these kids to get these stories down 100%, yeah. have them sit on them for three years or four years, you know, never be around each other. I mean, it, it would, it's insane. It is absolutely insane. You know, we had somebody, comment that lives in nebraska hey dude that they hadn't even heard of this i know that is just how much it got buried because nobody wanted to talk about it okay so first of all in a typical grand jury procedure they either indict somebody that they want to question or who, who who they have some suspicions about or they don't name them at all and in this case they cleared by name all of the abusers that were a prominently named abuser in all of these testimonies so they publicly cleared them that's not typical 
and this is the part that I seriously this morning, I was like, are you kidding me right now? I'm about to punch a hole in the wall. They said about Chief Robert Wadman, who we know has abused multiple children, lied about so many things in the relations with Larry King. They said about him, we now look upon Owen, Alicia Owen, as the perpetrator and Wadman as the victim. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? I mean, this whole grand jury should be burned alive. Sorry, guys. <laughs> who are these people? Like, who's paying these people off? Seriously. Well, that's the thing is that the foreman of this grand jury stated to the Franklin Committee that the prosecutor on the case and his assistant helped them write their report, which is illegal. Okay? They're not supposed to have anything to do with the writing of this report and the determination of the grand jury. Wow. So, yeah, they, they claim that Owen's testimony of Larry King's right-hand man, Larry the Kid, who she had spoken about multiple times in her reports was a completely fabricated person and they did not explain how a completely fictitious person could appear in the reports from at least four different children over a period of three years because it not only appeared in Alicia Owens report but it appeared in Loretta's report it appeared in uh, one of the web children's report and it also appeared in Paul Benassi's report so this person they say that she completely made up has been reported from at least four different people and then Alicia Owen. It is truly horrifying the amount of straight up BS that they tried to claim in this grand jury report. They just were set on insisting it was a cover up. And I think that would be because this piece of crap I mean, now, like, where is this guy's... They said Gary Caradori, you know, forced these videotaped confessions, or not confessions, I'm sorry, these videotaped testimonies for his own personal profit. Uh, he was dead, so he couldn't defend himself on these allegations at the time. They even made his assistant, who always accompanied him on these videotaped sessions, to get a professional polygraph that was administered by a professional polygraph specialist to tell them that she hadn't seen Gary Caradori forcing this testimony or making kids say things or giving them ideas, which she passed with flying colors, but they didn't care. Because just like we saw with Loretta, or it wasn't Loretta, it was one of the web kids. They made her get a polygraph, but they didn't care what it said. They just wanted to make her get a polygraph to torture her and then say she was lying, even though she passed. So like I said, the grand jury did not even read Caradori's evidence before they made their claim that it was a carefully crafted hoax and like I said he listed so much um, dozens of leads and follow for follow-up and cross-checking and he wasn't able to follow up on all these leads because he died in a plane crash or a plane explosion in the sky. They said that they heard a testimony from 76 witnesses, but in Caradori's, in his reports, he had over 291 potential witnesses that could help support these claims made by these kids. And they're, they're telling these people, we interviewed 75 people, it's enough. But not the key figure in the claims that the kids are making or half the other people who would have been able to support these kids claims just the ones that can't really do much to help support it because they clearly had an agenda which was to discredit the kids and anyone else making allegations so the legislative franklin committee wrote in response to the grand jury's report that we assume from their choice of words carefully crafted hoax that the grand jury was persuaded that the testimony of the witnesses corroborated each other and included facts and circumstances which were readily verifiable and attested to by other witnesses. Otherwise, it could not be logically deemed carefully crafted. If it was carefully crafted, who crafted it and when did they do so? 
Exactly. So basically, the grand jury is saying it's good enough that it sounds legit. So that's why it's a carefully crafted hoax because it simply can't be true. Who has time for this? Seriously. Nobody does. That would take like years in order to pull off. And they also stated that Alicia Owen and Paul Benassi were charged with perjury while Troy Bonner and Danny King are not. As we see it, the victims who stand by their story are charged with perjury while those that have admitted to false statements before the committee are not. That makes little sense to us. Either all should be indicted or none of them should. The message is mixed and appears to favor encouraging the recanting as a way to avoid the hazards of criminal prosecution. It also tells a person that they can be under oath to a legislative committee as long as they change their story before it goes to court. The Omaha World Herald, whose columnist Citron was convicted of child molestation, while the former publisher Anderson had been whitewashed in the grand jury report they leapt to the jury's defense in their paper saying that the grand jury did its job the insults against them are intolerable I mean it is insane I keep saying that but it is insane yeah the amount of just biased nonsense is going that goes on here yeah they said it now appears that the rumors resulted from fantasies of liars hoaxers and opportunists who wanted to pay back their perceived political enemies yeah never mind the countless numbers Numbers of children who are claiming to have been horrifically abused by these pieces of trash. Forget those. It's just a political enemy kind of thing. Really now? They said that Senator Schmidt was frantically rewriting history. And they said that they hoped that the wild tale about prostitution and cover-up had been laid to rest by the grand jury. So the guy who led the prosecution for the grand jury was named Samuel Van Pelt. And he was leaking information to the public. He was burying crucial evidence in he was also he had been accused of threatening witnesses so van pelt had been accused of covering up and clearing of wrong wrongdoing the state police swat team and the murder of a political activist arthur king in 1984 so when he was appointed as the head of this prosecution for the grand jury on the franklin case the public was pretty outraged by that to begin with because he was already known to be a corrupt individual and the fact that there are are a number of victim witnesses who are telling the Franklin committee after the grand jury hearing that this man who was the lead for the prosecution on this grand jury hearing was threatening them, telling them that if they continued to tell the story that they were telling, that they were going to be in big trouble. And he repeated this to a number of these children who were giving testimony to the grand jury um, against all of these high power people and in private where no one else could hear them. But he threatened them numerous times that if they continued to tell their story they were going to be in trouble and who knows what they perceived that trouble to mean but obviously Alicia Owen refused to recant her story and she ended up going to jail and Danny King and Troy Bonner both recanted because they didn't want to get put in jail or killed or whatever else would happen to them. So in regard to the grand jury Alicia Owen said that the three days at the grand jury were the hardest three days of her life and this is a girl who endured mental physical sexual abuse at an extremely young age went in and out of mental hospitals and was impregnated from being raped by a police officer at 15 and she's saying that these three days were absolutely the worst three days of her life because they humiliated her and pretty much from the get-go they weren't asking her questions they were simply accusing her of things yes and and so like she said it really put her on the defense right away because they weren't asking her so what happened 
happened to you during this time. They were more so saying, did you go willingly to someone's house for a party, etc. Her attorney stated that they never even asked her any questions at all, except one question, which was, do you want to say anything? In which she responded, I'm sorry that you never got to the point in three days. You were always going around in circles and more accusatory than anything, and you weren't trying to get facts out and let chips fall where they may. She said they never gave her an opportunity to go into facts. So she was indicted, like I said, for saying that the police chief, Robert Wadman, sexually abused her in 1983 and 1984, but they didn't ask her any questions about those years at all. They didn't ask her about the abuse. They didn't ask her anything about that in any way. Yet she was indicted for lying about that to the grand jury. So I find that to be awfully bizarre. And like I told you in the last episode, she got convicted and sentenced like 7 to 20 years in prison for perjury. Yeah. Which is unheard of. I mean, it is ridiculous. Just the mere fact that the grand jury came out publicly and stated that she was a perpetrator and that Robert Wadman as a victim makes me want to like just set fire to the whole world honestly there was another witness that they just called Jane Doe who testified to the Franklin Committee and who had been a witness for the grand jury and she said that she was left with the overwhelming impression that they only wanted her testimony to discredit Alicia Owens because they many times didn't really want to hear like Alicia Owen had said they didn't want to hear the facts they wanted her to answer questions that they like specific questions that they were asking her that were more so trying to accuse her of of doing certain things or like Shai was saying earlier, kind of insinuating that like you're kind of a loose teenager. So didn't you go to this party and take take drugs? And uh, isn't that your fault that you're remembering these people incorrectly? And now you're trying to ruin someone's life because you, you know, you're too stupid to not get too high to remember the names of people who abused you. Like they just did all sorts of ridiculous crap. And also they all received threats. I almost am positive, and I didn't even look it up, but I'm almost positive that Troy Bonner's brother was, like, injured in some terrible accident around this time. And that was part of a huge reason why he recanted. Yeah. This Jane Doe had moved multiple times and never published her number, and yet she was receiving threatening phone calls about information that only the grand jury was privy to. So she was confident that someone in the grand jury was leaking this information to certain people. I wouldn't doubt it if it was this Van Pelt loser. This Jane Doe said that Van Pelt had told her how to testify and why she needed to do it that way and threatened her with situations in her past in order to make her testify the way he wanted her to. Which that's not how I would hope a grand jury is going. And if the prosecutor has that much power in a grand jury, then I'm like, what good is a grand jury then at all? This isn't the first time I've seen a grand jury ruling be total utter crap, you know? like What I'm saying is like, what benefit are they getting? What incentive do they have? You know? How do you live with yourself or go to sleep at night? This other witness, Bonnie Con concentrate I don't know her name this lady um, she said that she was being threatened and she also said that she found herself like she was on trial for reporting to the proper authorities this these allegations of abuse that she was hearing from these children so again the victims are being are being prosecuted here 
Senator Schmidt also recalled that when he testified at the grand jury, how Van Pelt had only sectioned away 20 minutes for him, and they said that he didn't need him any further, even though he is one of the people who spent the last year and a half pouring over hundreds and hundreds of hours of evidence and testimony, yet they didn't think he had any pertinent information to give them in the in the grand jury hearing. I find that hard to believe. But like I said, it's against the law, but Van Pelt and his assistant both took part in writing the grand jury's final report per the grand jury foreman. So because these guys were so corrupt an investigation was actually started into van pelt in the grand jury and the guy who was appointed to investigate this was robert siegler who was a person that was named by multiple victims in the franklin case as one of the men who took part in these parties so obviously that's not going to come to any sort of you know they're not going to find any any corruption in the grand jury whenever the guy investigating them is somebody that's going and raping children so we talked about how Paul Benassi how he had developed multiple personality disorder and I I'm like almost wondering if it's now called disassociative identity disorder and whenever this book was written what's the difference because multiple personality disorder a lot of people misdiagnose that schizophrenia which is like a totally different thing paranoid schizophrenia so it's possible that now in 2018 mpd is actually did i think yeah i'm not positive but the grand jury had said that he was not capable of telling the truth and they said that the doctor that his doctor stated as such but they never called his doctor as a witness so they never even spoke to his doctor so i'm not sure where they got the information that his doctor told them that he was not capable of telling the truth but the franklin legislative committee did question his doctor who told them that he believed him to be telling the truth he said that paul benassi suffers from mpd like i said earlier and this might now in 2018 from when this book was written be did and i apologize for not knowing but i am not a psychiatrist and like i said earlier it's not a psychosis it's a neurosis stemming from a defense mechanism in the mind of a child child seeking to protect himself from unimaginable atrocity that virtually all MPD victims were severely abused and tortured and another doctor was brought in to interview Paul Benassi on numerous occasions and he said it would be very difficult for Benassi to lie so this is in absolute contrast to what the grand jury is stating they were saying like he was faking all these personalities and yeah and just making it all up as he went along and then you know in some interviews when you watch him Paul himself is like I don't remember being up there it was so and so and I don't know it's weird to watch because at one point he's in another personality and the lady says hey Paul and he says what Uh and they were like aha gotcha you know but there's no telling like when and how and where these personalities are going to come forth and when Paul is going to take a back seat so right I don't know and I mean like we're talking about this isn't like a freaking professional actor here you know like yeah and this is he was diagnosed by multiple doctors and I just because the grand jury had an ulterior motive and was being led by a prosecutor that had absolute ties to the people that were involved in being accused in the Franklin uh, sex scandal they clearly colored their their final report with completely biased bullshit sorry to say and they also he ignored key evidence in order to not have it be present in this 
investigation. Like, the whole thing was so corrupt. John DeCamp was of the opinion at the time that if the documents from the grand jury, the the interviews were made public, that a follow-up investigation into the grand jury that was more thorough than the one done by the guy that was accused of being a, a rapist, essentially, had done. So anyway. So I was going to say, like, Paul Benassi at the time was, like, what, 22? Like, 21, mm-hmm. yeah. I think when he yeah. went to the cops the first time. He looks like he's freaking 40. Like, if... Aww. He he does. It's sad. Like, he looks like he was rode hard and hung out wet to dry. You yeah. know, like, if... I mean... That's some serious trauma. Yeah, like he does not look like a 21-year-old boy at all. He looks yeah. like a 4-year-old man, and I don't know if that attests to anything, but... Yeah, well, I mean, that's yeah. a pretty rough life to be leading. Yeah. I just, reading about this, like I said earlier, just really drove home to me how just utter BS politics is the partisan bullcrap is total nonsense that we're all just like led to fall down these rabbit holes of partisanship when the actual politicians that are initiating this crap they have no allegiance to a party or anything any ideology they are really only out for bettering them their own lives yeah so you know I, i can't they're all just such completely corrupt losers that it really makes me wonder what what chance we have in this world but really i want somehow to find a way for these kids who are abused by these disgusting pieces of trash to have some sort of justice in this situation and it's you know so long ago now but i just don't see how it's even possible this whole episode has bummed me out so much i legit almost started crying earlier when i thought i I was going to like i wanted to i just i hate to think that there's like this stuff still goes on and there's nothing we can do i mean it's gotta yeah it's gotta go on well like i told you we just have that priest here and he lived to be like 79 years old before he was busted. Yeah. For sadistic child sex abuse. Right. Drugs, money laundering. Yeah. It's just nuts. Yeah, it's hard to, it's really hard to believe that this isn't something that is going on everywhere you live. It is going, you know, there's like some creepy old perv running a child sex ring i mean and you know think about the bohemian grove stuff think about the when we talked on that episode about the newspaper saying that there was the washington ties to teenage boy prostitutes and then there was the paper in the uk that had said the same thing about the parliament yeah and these all tie together it's like when there's smoke there's fire um you can't you can't tell me that this same flippin' story over and over and over, all of these people over and over and over. Like, I cannot tell you how many pages of evidence of research that I had here that I just didn't read because it's like, how many times do you, have, do you need to hear the same story about the same people just from a different kid? At some point, just believe me that there's so much evidence that corroborates with each other that I am absolutely horrified. I don't even know where I'm going now. I think I'm just talking in circles. So (laughs) anyway, yeah. And, you know, I like, I guess for the final conclusion of this, well, because we know that Alicia Owen was convicted of perjury. We know Paul Benassi was acquitted for whatever reason. We know that there were 15 deaths that resulted in that were tied to this Franklin investigation. Uh, over a span of like three years. I honestly am like, 
you know, we look into this too much, we're going to end up being the 17th, 16th and 17th. Uh, if there aren't more, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but no, I really have been like, oh God. But so I'm kind of interested to see where some of these people ended up. Like what happened to Paul Benassi and what happened to Alicia Owen or did they just dis- have to disappear into the thin air? Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have a lot of laughs on this episode. No. I, that's what kind of why I want to be done with it. Cause I'm like, it's a bummer. <laughs> pressing. It is. So we're going to end this depressing shit. (laughs) So we're going to end it. End it here. It's depressing. I'm already, the week has been an utter bummer. Actually, it's the beginning of the week, but I'm carrying it over from last week. Has been an utter bummer. And this only bums me out even further. But I do think it's really important to expose this crap because there are people that got away with the most horrific of abuse against children and and even if they're not children the emotional and mental trauma that they cause people because they are so disgusting and sick in the head that they have to you know force children to rape each other and kill kids in front of them and threaten them constantly i truly hope that there is a fate waiting for them much worse than the petty BS jail sentence that they get for some, you know, nonsense fraud charge or whatever that has nothing to do with the actual, like, depraved, you know, they deserve the worst, the absolute worst in life and death. Also, abuse is never okay and it is never your fault. So right, don't ever feel like it was something you did to bring it upon yourself and don't be afraid to reach out. So hopefully you can always find somebody that can advocate for you. Yeah, right. Let's go get some sunshine. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> While I think it would be nice to, to go about life pretending like all things are great and wonderful, there are, you know, terrible people in this world and there are ter- they do terrible things. And hopefully by knowing about it, we can stand together against these losers and send them off to their own little island that will sink into the depths of the earth and we'll never have to see them again. Yeah. Let's all hope. Bye, Alicia. But yeah, get gone. Okay, so um, something that I wanted to say that was completely unrelated to Franklin. So we're done... We're done with Franklin for now. Anybody in the LA area that listens to the show who would be able to go to the LA Sheriff's Department, I forget the date, in a few, in a week or two, which I'll post on the Facebook, and try to get the new, I think a new sheriff was elected, and get him to uh, reinvestigate the Maitrese Richardson case. There's a group on Facebook that has been put together by a girl named Monique, and hopefully she can get a couple people to help her do so. I know that I personally filed a report with the FBI in order to reinvestigate the case. Anything we can do to keep the story alive, because clearly what they want to say happened or didn't happen isn't true. So the truth about what happened to my trees is definitely needed for her family and for her period. So anyway, I'll post about it on my Facebook or we or we'll post about it on the Facebook and it would be, you know, cool if some people could help. I don't have any ability to get there. Well, okay. Well, we're out now. We're going to go have a snack and a nap. <laughs>
Yeah. So thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back next week. I'm thinking maybe some some good old party true crime. True crime. I need yeah, true crime is coming. So have a great week and see you next week. Go rate us and share the pod. We're getting new listeners every week, but we will always we would love to have more. Okay, so creep it real out there, guys, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.